if you would turn to Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 2 is going to be kind of our base camp from which we will jump around. Um, Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 2. When you get there, put your finger there. I won't read it at, at the moment, but I want you there by the time we're ready for it. Tonight's message will be on the topic of prayer. And I want to read for you. I'm actually going to ask you not to turn there. I just want you to hear the word as it's read to you. And I selected four, they're short, four of my favorite passages on prayer that I want to kind of set the tone and, and speak from God's Word before we even launch into it tonight. So just please listen as these are read to you tonight. Isaiah says in Isaiah 64, 7, There is no one who calls upon your name, who rouses himself to take hold of you. Isaiah 62, 7 says, You put the Lord in remembrance. You who put the Lord in in remembrance, take no rest and give him no rest. James 5, 16 and 17 says the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man as with a like nature as ours and he prayed fervently that it might not rain for three years and six months and it did not rain on the earth. And then finally, and perhaps my favorite of all, Luke 11. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask of Him? Let's pray. Our Father, as we enter into Speaking from your word and hearing your truth as it regards our prayer, our life of prayer, our pursuit of you, we pray that you would open our eyes to see, that you would open our ears to hear, that you would prepare our hearts to be changed. Lord, we want to be a people who speak freely with their God. We want to people, be a people who know what it is to commune with you in, in the closet of prayer. So God, I pray that you would strengthen me and give me a clear mind, a clear voice. I pray for all here tonight, God, that you would arrest our attention to your word. We pray this in the name of our Savior. Amen. Well, as uh, Pastor John had mentioned, uh, Pastor Ray was meant to be here, and uh, and he was to speak on kind of what I understand to be the, the disciplines of the church, or what church life looks like, based out of Acts chapter 2. So if you are, hopefully your finger's still in Acts chapter 2, I want to read this verse, and it's a short verse, it's a concise verse, it's, it's a descriptive one, but it will actually set the agenda for all four of our messages Moving forward, Acts 2.42, in describing the early days of the church, says, 
and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and the breaking of bread and to the prayers. And so what we want to do in our time at camp, as I try to set my timer so that otherwise if I don't do that, it's for your safety. If I don't set my timer, we'll go for an hour and a half. Uh, what I want to do is let this passage kind of dictate for us uh, what church life ought to look like. You, you can see clearly just on, on a brief survey that these early Christians were giving themselves, and we're just devoted, to four things. Three are explicitly stated and, and the fourth is implied. The first is they're giving themselves to the apostles' teaching. The second is to the fellowship of the saints and the bread. The third is to prayer. The fourth is going to be, we'll look at it on Sunday, we're going to look at the Sabbath. They would, throughout all the book of Acts, meet on the first day of the week. And so we want to look at of things to be devoted to. One of them is the Lord's Day. But tonight we want to look at prayer. And I'll say at the outset that this is a little bit out of my comfort zone or out of what I'm used to. I'm used to kind of delving into verse by verse and painstakingly slowly picking my way through a book. And uh, this week, I want to do a more topical look at these items. I chose to look at the broad scope of what the Bible means when it looks at prayer, fellowship, word, and Sabbath, rather than just anchoring us to one text. I think often we get to delve down deeply into the Word of God by looking at specific singular texts. And this week I want to look at kind of the scope and the breadth of what Scripture has to say. So on the topic of prayer, while it may seem a little bit overused and a little cliche, the following words uh, quite literally changed my life. The Bishop J.C. Ryle writes, I have a question to offer you. It is contained in three words. Do you pray? The question is one that only you can answer. Whether you attend public worship, your pastor knows. Whether you participate in family worship or not, your family knows. But whether you pray in private or not is a matter between yourself and God. I beseech you, Ryle says, with all affections, do not say that my question is too personal. If your heart is right before God, there's nothing in it to make you afraid. Do not turn off my question by replying that you simply say your prayers. It's one thing to say your prayers. It's another thing to pray. That, I guess those two paragraphs so impacted me. I can to this day remember, even though it was 10 years ago, I can remember where I was sitting when Ryle asked my heart some very difficult questions to answer. And for the next 33 pages in Ryle's A Call to Prayer, I was convicted, I was enwrapped, I, I was arrested by this searching question. I think it's one that hits all of us as we consider Items in the Christian life that often are a source of great guilt, when we look at our prayer life, if you're like me, I guess I can only speak from my own perspective. I look at my prayer life, and I've never said of it, you know, I'm really happy. 
I've arrived. I've conquered the mountain of prayer. And every day fellowship is sweet. Every day my tongue is unleashed with praises to God. And my heart with zeal runs out. I, I, I wish I could say that. Well, there are good seasons. There are those those times where you do speak as it were, as you were unloosed before him. But there are also times, just to be honest and open, where I don't want to pray. Maybe you think, well, pastors should always want to pray. It's true. They should always want to. But we still have sinful, fallen hearts just like anyone and everyone else. Prayer is a hard topic to talk about, isn't it? And it's one that we can often, and I'm as guilty as this is the next one, it's one that we can kind of hammer home on the convicting side of it and just say, you should pray better, you should do better, you should work harder, and just leave it there. There's always going to be a sense of that, I think, when we talk about prayer. There's always going to be a convicting aspect of prayer, unless you're, you know, like John Knox's son-in-law who prayed eight to ten hours a day. You look at your prayer life and you say, you know what, I really need to there's a convicting aspect to it. I don't think we can avoid it. I don't think we should avoid it. But I also want to hit the sweetness and the draw and the allure of prayer. I want us, when we're done considering this topic tonight, to say, you know what? I want to pray. I want to strive after God in secret. I want to speak to Him. So it's a tall order, and that's my goal. So I want to break our thoughts into three pieces tonight, if you're taking notes. I think before we can have any conversation about prayer, we have to define what prayer is. So if you're taking notes, point one is simply the question, what is prayer? What is prayer? I've devoted much of my private study to the topic of prayer over the last 10 years. And uh, that question is not as easy to answer as you might think. What is prayer? Prayer is something that we all do. And yet when we sit down and try to define it with a few crisp sentences, it's actually quite hard to capture all that the Bible speaks of when it speaks of prayer. The easiest way of beginning to get our arms wrapped around it is prayer is simply the speaking to God. It's what Luther said, and, and I apologize ahead of time, I will quote many reformers and Puritans in this sermon. I want you to hear from the men who've mentored me in their books, and so uh, this sermon will be a little more quote heavy. Luther says to pray is simply this, to call upon God's holy name. And throughout all of Scripture, we find a bunch of different words kind of associated with prayer. I mean, if you just took Isaiah 64 and said, what words are used to describe prayer? You would find words like cry, waiting, remembrance, calling, a stirring up, a laying hold of, a plea, a petition. That's just one chapter of the Bible, give or take eight or nine different words used in trying to capture what is meant by prayer. Prayer in its simplest, purest, most fundamental level is, is speaking to God. Speaking to God. Prayer is more than just speaking, but it's, it's not less than speaking. Prayer is also, and we, we use this kind of word to describe it, prayer is a, a duty. 
You might use the word, uh, prayer is one of the spiritual disciplines in the Christian life. And we get that, that, that wording because when we, all, when we think of prayer, we all say, well, yeah, we, we ought to pray. We ought to pray. And anytime we invoke that kind of language, the, the oughtness of, of life, the things we ought to be doing, it, that comes from the Word of God itself. It comes because God has commanded it, and prayer is it's commanded in the Bible. If we're going to have any kind of concept of prayer, a kind of biblical understanding, we have to know that it's not extra credit to those of you who went to colleges like mine. At the end of the year, if you dug yourself into a hole, there was, there was extra credit that you could do to kind of boost your grade as a last-ditch effort to get you to read books you wouldn't have read otherwise. And sometimes we think of prayer like that. It's optional. I can do it or I cannot do it. It's good if I do. It's not bad if I don't. And yet if we look at prayer from Scripture, prayer is repeatedly commanded, just unapologetically commanded from God to His people. Paul says in 1 Timothy 2.8 that men in all places should lift up holy hands in prayer to God. He says in 1 Thessalonians 5.17 that we are to pray without ceasing, and yet if we were to follow the kind of the trajectory of the Puritans and the Reformers, they would trace back that command to pray well before 1 Thessalonians, well before the New Testament, well before the, the prophets and the poetic books. They would actually trace the command to pray all the way back to the Ten Commandments themselves. You might say, well, I've read the Ten Commandments before, and I, I didn't read Thou Shalt Pray. No, you didn't. But you did read the third commandment that said, You shall not take the name of your, the Lord your God in vain. As with all of the commandments, they have a positive and a negative sense. You shall not murder, stated in the negative. And yet the positive that's understood is drawn out from our Lord. You shall love your neighbor. The negative, don't murder. And the positive, love him, seek his good. Build him up, help him, love him. Well, the same is true of the third commandments. It's true of all of them, but it is true as well as, of, as the third. Don't call on God vainly is the prohibition, the negative. Well, what's the positive? Call on him. Sunk deeply into the very commands of God that bear, listen to this, bear the same weight as don't murder. And don't steal is the command to pray. Luther says, God has, speaking of prayer, God has commanded it. We were told in this commandment, you shall not take the name of your God in vain. Whereby we are required to praise the holy name of God. And pray and call upon him in every need. For to call upon it is nothing less than to pray. Prayer, therefore, is as strictly and solemnly commanded as all the commandments, such as having no other God, not killing, not stealing, and the rest. Friends, this should have a profound impact on the way that we pray. It's not extra credit. It's not optional. It's not something we do only when we are in trouble or in dire need. It's something that we do because God is our God. 
we are not. And His command is the rule of our life. If we could take that a, a, a step further, take it to its logical conclusion, uh, we have to say what, what Scottish reformer John Knox says. He says, the sin of prayerlessness is no less sinful than the sin of theft. They incur the same guilt because they both violate God's law. Friends, please do not consider prayer optional. Please don't consider prayer optional. I know my heart so often, even though I know this, so often I want to put prayer in the category of optional things. It isn't. It's a command. And like all commands are given for the good of God's people. Prayer is speaking to God. Prayer is commanded by God. Prayer is... Even deeper than both of those, prayer is communion with God. Or if you wanted to use a word we'll be returning to later this week, prayer is fellowship with God. Prayer is the communion of a living soul with the living God. In prayer there is a relational aspect, a a nearness, an exchange, a, a sharing, a participating and we understand that in human relationships. I love many things in this life, but the two on my mind right now, I love my wife and I love coffee. And I love having coffee with my wife. <laughs> and when we sit down and before the kids are awake, and that is early sometimes, and we, we, we just sit across from each other and have a cup of coffee and and you can use lots of words to describe that interaction. It's speaking. It's relational. It's communion. It's, it's participating. It's, it's a lot like what prayer ought to be. And in prayer we have that with God. You might say, well, does the scripture really use that kind of language to describe prayer? Absolutely it does, far more than we do. Psalm 34 verse 8 says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in Him. You might hear that and say, Well, I agree that we ought to be tasting and seeing that the Lord is good, but is it really talking about prayer? What well, is? That's verse 8. If you back up to verse 6, it's one of my other favorite verses on prayer. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. And the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and dwell. The answer is, the saint who in desperation called out to God in prayer, unbosomed himself as the Puritan said, laid his soul open before God in these difficult, vulnerable moments of his life. God saves him. God encamps the angel of the Lord around him to protect him. And the psalmist's response is, oh, what communion I've tasted. In the prayer closet, I have found him. And I've tasted it. Prayer cannot be, ought not ever be, boiled down to a cold-hearted, 
duty that we, that we, to borrow from Austin Phelps, just, it's something that we do sometimes to satiate our conscience. We do it because we ought to. We do it to check a box because we know that good Christians gotta have to do this, and so we, we go about it in a very cold, disconnected manner, and, and everything in the scripture would say that is that's not prayer. Prayer is the, the sharing of living soul with the living God. Prayer is, as Anthony Burgess said, the ultimate goal of prayer is communion with the altogether lovely triune God. Prayer is not merely a duty. <clears throat> it is a duty, it is a command, but it's so much more. And if we just think of prayer as in strict terms of duty, we have a very anemic, I would argue an unhealthy view of prayer. Prayer is communion with God. Prayer involves the whole man. It involves not just our words, not just our mouth and our voice, but, but prayer involves the heart as well. And we see this in one of the verses I read at the beginning. In uh, Isaiah 64, 7, it says, There's no one who calls upon my name. And listen to the, the language that God himself uses to describe what ought to be happening in prayer. There's no one who rouses himself to take hold of me. The idea is that there were people who were praying. And as they were praying, while they were saying all the right things, let's say. Maybe they even adopted the right posture. I mean, we always think of kneeling as that, that right posture. That's how you're supposed to pray. Maybe they were kneeling and saying all the right things, and their heart were, was far away from God. God himself says in Isaiah 64, that that's not prayer. Prayer isn't something you just... Do. It's, it's not like the religions that have those prayer wheels that as long as you, you turn the wheel and you, you've prayed and appeased the deity in some way. No, prayer requires the whole man, the whole woman. Body, soul, heart, emotion, zeal. It's said of James 5, again a verse we read at the beginning, the prayer of a righteous person has great power. Elijah was a man, in like nature as us. And James says that Elijah prayed, if you're using the ESV, it says he prayed fervently. Literally, the way that James puts it is, Elijah prayed in his prayers. That's an odd way of saying it, isn't it? Elijah prayed in his Prayers. And I think we experientially have encountered this. We've spent any time in prayer at all. There's times where we are praying and it feels like our prayers don't even go beyond the ceiling of the room we're praying. Our heart's cold. Our mind is distracted. We chase down every little byway and highway away from God. And it doesn't even feel like we're praying. And then there are other sweet times of prayer where heart, mind, and mouth are all together and we pour ourselves out. That, that's praying in your prayers. That, that's praying with your heart engaged in what you're doing. 
The Puritans would often warn against what they called prayerless praying. You could call it by a different name. Praying without heart engaged. Praying with your mouth, but having a heart that's cold towards God. Or praying the way that Jesus warned against in Matthew chapter 6. Keeping up empty phrases. We're praying that Jesus warns against in Matthew 15, where it says, These people honor me with their lips. They're saying all the right things. And yet their heart are far from me. Prayer is speaking to God. It's, it's a duty. It, it, it's fellowship. It's sharing. It, it's, it's participating. It's to be heartfelt to engage the whole man. And, and when we stack up even this, and, and I, sadly, it's, it's a very brief definition of prayer. Though even as we just look at prayer, as we've described it already, we, we look at that and you know, say, that sounds good. Th that, that sounds like something we should be doing. Speaking to God with our heart and, and sharing and communion with Him. And there's, there's fellowship with Him. And, and your prayers ascend up to His his ear and he hears them and he draws near to you in the prayer closet. All of that sounds sounds amazing, doesn't it? It is also, as Austin Phelps, one of my favorite, and yet I, I, I dislike his book because it hurts to read it. He says, prayer is often enchanting from a distance, isn't it? You talk about communion and Zealous heart. Sounds great, doesn't it? Sign me up. Yet when it comes down to actually praying, it's very hard, isn't it? So, secondly, I want to look at the difficulty of prayer. We've defined it, I hope. <laughs> what prayer is. And the second topic I want to consider is the difficulty of prayer. Maybe stated a different way. Why is prayer difficult? Why is prayer hard? Why is prayer not just called a, a crying, a calling? Why is prayer in Genesis called a wrestling? Why, is, why are there notes of agony in some of the prayers that we read in the Bible? Prayer, don't be deceived, is hard. To, to put it any other way would seem less than what it actually is. Prayer is absolutely difficult, and I think I think it would do us great benefit to ask why that is. You might say, well, I'm not a super Christian. Well, that's not why prayer is hard. I want to read to you from one of the greatest, in my mind, the greatest men of prayer, John Bunyan. A man imprisoned for his faith, a, a man who whose prayer life um, I don't think I'll ever get in close to. It says that Bunyan understood well the allergic reaction of the old nature to the presence of God. Bunyan said, do you know why prayer is so hard? It's because we're sinful people. Sinful people don't like going into the presence of God in secret. Sinful people don't like engaging in, in spiritual exercises Spiritual people don't like 
Drawing near to God, because when you draw near to God, you are instantly confronted with exactly who and what you are. I said that the words from J.C. Ryle, I can remember from 10 years ago, I can remember again where I was sitting. And when I read this five years ago, listen to Bunyan describe his experience of prayer. I read this to you to encourage you. I found it encouraging, and you might say, oh, that's kind of depressing. Well, I'm a strange guy. <laughs> but he says, may I speak of my own experience and tell you of the difficulty of praying to God as I ought. It is enough to make your poor, blind, carnal men to entertain strange thoughts of me. For, as for my heart, when I go to pray, I find it so loath to go to God. And when it's with him, so loath to stay with him, that many times I am forced in my prayers first to beg God that he would take my heart and set it on himself in Christ. And when it is there, that he would keep it there. Nay, many times I know not even what to pray. I'm so blind. Nor how to pray. I'm so ignorant. Only blessed be grace, the Spirit helps us. Oh, the starting holes that the heart has in time of prayer. None knows how many byways the heart has and back lanes to slip away from the presence of God. How much pride also, if enabled with expression. How much hypocrisy, if before others. And how little conscience is there made of prayer between God and the soul in secret? Must the spirit of supplication be there to help? If I could summarize that in a little more modern language, Bunny would say, you know that prayer is so difficult. I, I drag my heart kicking and screaming into the very presence of God because the heart of, of, of man doesn't want to be with him. And even when I get it into his presence, I have to sit it down and kind of hold it in the chair and force it to be there. This is one of the greatest men I've ever read whose prayer life dwarfs anything I'll have. And he says, you know, I, I drag my heart here. And even when you get your heart there, do not let the guard down. Because once it's there, the heart will grab any one of a thousand distractions to slip away. Have you ever been praying and you like all of a sudden come to yourself? I mean, you're thinking about things you've got to do today, and I've got to take the car and do this, and I got this work. And then you like you remember, oh wait, I was praying five minutes ago. And something happened. The heart took a path away from God. It had to be brought back. I find that encouraging. Luther says prayer is the hardest work of all. A labor above all labors. Since he who prays must wage a mighty warfare against doubt and murmuring. Excited by faint-heartedness and unworthiness we feel within us. There's no greater work than praying. Prayer is a difficult matter and hard work. It's far more difficult than preaching the word. 
or performing other official duties in the church. Some have called Martin Luther not just the, a reformer, but specifically a reformer of prayer preeminently. The, the things that he sought to undo in the Catholic Church in his day mainly had to do with prayer at the heart of it. And, and he says prayer is the hardest of all exercises. He puts it up there with, it's harder than preaching. And I'm inclined to agree with him. Because there's no external praise. There's no other motivations. It's stripped down. It's you and God. And you're wrestling a dark heart into the very presence of God in prayer. So I would ask you, do you find prayer difficult? If you say yes, you're in good company. You've got John Bunyan and Martin Luther saying that it's absolutely a difficult work, but a necessary and a great work. Prayer is difficult because of the fallenness of our flesh. Prayer is also difficult because we lose sight of the promises of God. We lose sight of what prayer is. We lose sight of what God's truth promises us repeatedly, over and over and over again in His Word, how He responds to prayer and how we're to speak to Him in prayer. I think it's one of the reasons why I'm such a big advocate, we'll get to this a little later, of praying through the scriptures because it, it repeatedly forces us to be confronted with the promises of God. Psalm 34, 17 says, When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears them and delivers them out of all their troubles. When we are prayerless, we are forgetting promises like that. We're forgetting when we are racked with anxiety and, and, and drugged down by depression and discouragement and, and we find our hearts prayerless, we are forgetting the beckoning call of the Scripture. Come, call on me. I will hear you. I will answer you. Dr. Joel Beakey says it is against God's very nature not to hear and answer the prayers of His people. We forget the promises of God. We forget the nature of God. We forget our theology of prayer. We, we forget. Sometimes, I don't know if you've had this experience where, where you know you ought to pray and yet there's this hesitancy to go to Him. There, there's this, you, you, you know you've, you've sinned. You know you've blown it again. And you hesitate to go to Him again. And you and you, you know you're not worthy to go, and yet you, you convince yourself that give it time, and then you can go. And in those moments we forget that we're not praying to a, a tyrant. We're not praying to one who is indifferent. We're, we're praying to a father whose ear is more eager and willing to hear our prayers than we are even willing to offer them. We forget that we call upon a Father, one who loves us and has adopted us into his family. We forget that we have a, a high priest who laid down his life for us and rose again for us and ascended for us and now intercedes day and night for us. We, we forget we have the Holy Spirit 
indwelling us and, and helping us and assisting us and aiding us in prayer. We, we forget that, that all three members of, of the Godhead are actively involved in prayer. If we would have any understanding of that theology, I think we run into the throne room of grace as Hebrews says. There would be a boldness. I forget what Puritan said it. I'll remember later tonight as I'm trying to fall asleep, I think. He said... He didn't say that. But he, uh, he said that if we could hear Christ's intercessions in the next room, we would never hesitate to go to God in prayer. We forget the realities of prayer. We forget that prayer is, as J.C. Ryle put it, depend upon it. Prayer is power. Do we, sometimes when we call out on God, do we ever stop long enough to ask ourselves, like, well, what is it that we're actually doing? Is this going to do anything? And I can hear it in my own words sometimes when, when we're faced with a, a difficult situation, situations beyond us. You know what I'm about to say. We, the, the, the thing we throw out there is like, oh, I, we, I can't actually do anything for you, so I'll pray for you. And we throw it away like, like the, 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 that's almost nothing. I can't actually help you, and so I'll, I'll just I'll pray for you. Even when we say stuff like that, it, it reveals we, we don't have a sense of the power of prayer. And it's not that our prayer is powerful because it comes from us. Prayer is powerful because God has decreed it and established it as the means by which He does so many things in this world. We forget that prayer is powerful. When someone tells me that they're praying for me, I, I don't take it as like a, a slight, like, oh, thanks. Appreciate it. It's like the birthday card that didn't have any money in it from Grandma. Like, oh, grandma thought of me. That's good. Like, no, no it, it, that is the most loving, powerful thing someone could do for me. Is to take my name upon their lips into the very courtroom of God and plead with Him on my behalf. Never, never, never downplay the importance of prayer and praying for others. When someone says that they're praying for you and they mean it, that's one of the greatest expressions of love within the church I could imagine. Prayer is hard. Don't be deceived, Christians. And I warn you on the, on the difficulty of prayer not to discourage you away from it. Uh, but, but my fear is that if we just talk about the, the good and the alluring of it, and you go off on your own and you try to do it and you encounter difficulty, you'll probably do what I've done multiple times, and that's to get discouraged and give up. Mark it down. Prayer is hard, but it's worth it. It's worth it. It's the very power of God moving in and through His church. The husband of the church is worth that kind of communion. Thirdly, we've talked about what is prayer and why is prayer difficult. And, and I wanted to, in our last point, give you some, some practical, okay, how, how do we cultivate a life of prayer? 
And so if you keep taking notes, number three is how do we cultivate a life of prayer? How do we actually get some steps to start walking down the pathway of prayer and, and pursuing God in, in the closet, pursuing God in relationship and, and with, with heart and with consistency? And I thought of seven ways. I whittled out a much bigger list but I figured it would be 8.44 at night, and we don't want a bigger list than the one we've already got. First thing that I would encourage any person who wants to be, as the church was in Acts 2, devoted to prayer, the first step I would say is never let a, um, a desire to pray pass you by and not pray. What I mean by that is when you have a sense, whether you're driving or, or talking with a friend or, or off on your own, and you get that sense, I need to pray, do not pass that up. So the period it's called spontaneous prayer. It's when I believe the Spirit of God leads us and directs us and moves within us to pray, that isn't a native, natural thing for a fallen, sinful person to want to pray. Take advantage of that. If you're talking with a friend who's having a really difficult time, do you feel prompted to pray for them? I actually, like, and I know it, it'll be awkward the first several times you, you try it, but even on the phone, I, I, I've said, hey, would you, can I, can I pray for you right now? And just pray for them. If you're driving and you think, Man, I, I, I need to pray for that person. Don't just think that. Pray that. Take advantage of every desire to pray. Don't quench those desires. So that's take advantage of all spontaneous prayers. That's number one. Number two would be schedule prayer. It appears in saw two, two types of prayer. The spontaneous prayer that is kind of free-flowing throughout life. And they also saw uh, time set aside for prayer. The things we care about make their way onto our schedule. There's, I, I don't believe there's such a thing as I don't have time. We make time to do the things we want to do. Every human being has the same number of hours a week, and we all spend them on the things that we love. Let's spend them, in part, on prayer. So I would challenge you, whenever it is, I'm a morning person, and so the quiet of the morning, that's, that's my go-to. I need that time in the morning. So I, I get up early from for prayer. If that's not you, if you say, I am not awake or rational until later, that's fine. Form it and fit it to how God has wired you and how your, your life works. I think the earlier in the day you can pray, the better because it sets the trajectory of your day. But have time scheduled for prayer. And I would put a note on this, like budgeting of any, any type, um, Make sure it's reasonable and workable. If you're like me, I'm, I'm all big ideas and great and grand. I'm like, I'm going to pray for four hours in the morning. That's not reasonable. <laughs> not where I'm at. Not, not um, where I'm at, at least in my prayer life. Uh, strive for consistency over having a stellar, you know, dream prayer life. Just see, you know, what can I do day in and day out? And grow it from there. Grow your time with God. 
If you say, I don't pray at all, get five minutes done every day. If you say, I pray five, let's, let's look at ten. Or whatever you can do, schedule it, make sure it's reasonable and attainable, and then fiercely guard that time. Fiercely guard that time. You'll, you'll think of a thousand reasons to miss it, but fiercely guard that. Number three would be pray with others. Nothing so encourages my heart to pray as praying with other people. Part of that is I'm a, I'm a people person, uh, but I think the way that God has wired the church, we thrive and encourage each other. So pray in your families. Pray with your spouse. Pray with your kids. Your kids learn how to pray by hearing mom and dad pray. Pray with your, your, your so think of small groups, family, spouse, family worship type settings. Pray with your church. Uh, I don't. At our church in Kirkland, we have a weekly prayer meeting. Uh, we have times of prayer in some of our small groups. So whatever your church does, that you pray with the body. Pray with the body. And uh, the last aspect of praying with others would be, if you can, uh, I would really encourage you to strive to develop a relationship with a prayer partner. I've got a, a friend of mine. I will probably reference it multiple occasions throughout this sermon series. Um, my friend Ryan has done uh, more to encourage me to seek God in prayer than I think any other human being has. And we, we uh, he lives in Denver, I live in Washington. And we'll FaceTime and pray together at times in the week. Just to stir each other on and up to prayer. Find someone like that in your life, if at all possible, who even if you can't physically be with them, call them and pray with them. God's given us technology that we should just be taking advantage of for His glory. Thirdly, pray with others. Fourth, pray the Bible. The Psalms are the Bible's school of prayer. Learn how to pray from Spirit-inspired men. Um, I believe, I believe if your pastor's done study on this topic, I'm sure you've heard about praying through the Psalms. If you haven't, talk to him uh, or read. Um, I would also recommend Don Whitney's book, Praying the Bible. Um, but, but pray through Scripture. If we don't pray through the Bible, I think we fall into some really repetitive models of prayer where each day we end up praying the same thing over and over and over again. And prayer can become stagnant. The other is that the Psalms teach us how a living soul communes with the living God and, and the things we ought to pray for. And so when I pray the Psalms, I end up praying for things I never would have prayed for to begin with. Things that wouldn't cross my mind that day, the Psalms bring to my mind. So start with the Psalms, grow it to um, other passages of Scripture, learn from how these men pray. And, uh, and let the word run through your prayers. Uh, all of the great men of prayer that I've either read or had the privilege of hearing them pray, their prayers are word-saturated. Uh, if you ever hear like a John Piper pray, it's, it's, it's like he's just stringing together scripture he's memorized and turned the promises back into prayer to God. So pray the Bible. Number five would be read your books on prayer. I cannot tell you the benefit that prayer or books on prayer have been to me. Maybe say I'm not a reader. Great. No time like the present to start. 
Praying the Bible by Donald Whitney is a good, good, thin, practical book on reading the Psalms. Called Prayer by J.C. Ryle is a good little book. Uh, this book that I read from, Taking Hold of God, edited by Dr. Beakey. You can tell from the cover it has been loved and abused many times. Um, this book is probably my favorite one I've heard, Taking Hold of God. And what was the one by, uh, the one, right, the second one that you saw? A Call to Prayer by Ryle. Thanks. Taking Hold of God by Dr. Beakey. I'm a book guy, so ask me for a list of books. That's, that's my wheelhouse. Uh, the Secret Key to Heaven by Thomas Brooks. The Still Hour by Austin Phelps. If you if you want, and you don't have time to write all this down, I have them in my notes, and you can just see me anytime. The Valley of Vision by Arthur Bennett, edited by Arthur Bennett, a collection of Puritan prayers. Anytime I'm feeling cold-hearted in prayer, I'll read one of those to help. Uh, Ian Bounds, there's, there's lots of awesome books on prayer. Uh, number six, be de dedicated to prayer. Be faithful. Be consistent. You say, I, I want to be a person, a man or woman, marked by prayer. It starts with consistency. It starts with being faithful in little before you're faithful in much. Be patient. Like anything, prayer takes time. So don't think if, you, if I'm going to try for a week. And at the end of the week, I'm, I'm going to be a John Knox kind of a prayer. That's not going to happen. I wish it would, but it doesn't. Lastly, uh, I would emphasize in your prayer, duty, or delight over the duty of it. I, 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 would, I would find sweet and precious promises in the Word of God and in the Psalms. And I would write them down to encourage my heart when I'm discouraged to pray. Verses where it talks about, when you call, I will hear you. Uh, I, would, I use uh, the passage from Luke that I wrote down, where it says that just like a father loves to give gifts to his kids, and I, I love giving gifts. I, as soon as I buy something for my kids, I can hardly wait to the moment I can give it to them. I'm terrible about it. The Bible says, you do that, and you're really sinful as a dad. The Father's so much more generous in you. And if you can do that with your kids, don't you think the Father will on a far grander scale hear and answer your prayer? So I would find and I would make a treasury of promises and encouragements that I would keep on a card in my prayer book or in the Psalms where you're praying. Something to drive you back to the promises. Um, or I'd write down, the one I have listed is, taste and see that the Lord is good. I want, I want that um, to be my emphasis in prayer. I'm seeking a person. I'm seeking fellowship with God. This isn't an intellectual exercise only. This isn't just me reciting words. I'm actually seeking the living God. And when I speak, I know He hears my voice. Emphasize the delight of it. Too often we can just emphasize the duty of it. It's something we have to do. I would, I would write down the precious promises that you encounter as you pray through the Psalms. And I would use those to heat a cold heart.
into uh, fervency and zeal. Let's pray. Our Father, we want to be a people who, like the men and women of Acts 2, were devoted to you in prayer. Lord, I confess my own. I'm sure we confess our prayerlessness. We have not sought you as we ought to. Lord, forgive us. Forgive your bride for not speaking to her husband. Forgive us for all of the other places and areas in our life where we run to instead of you. Teach us of the sweetness of communion. Assure us that when we call on your name, you hear us. Even now, as we utter these weak and feeble words here on earth, they ascend into your courts and you hear them. The ears that, that ring with the continuous antiphonal praise of the angelic hosts, those ears that are holy and pure and High and righteous, they hear our weak prayers. That never are our prayers so weak and quiet that you do not hear them. Lord, thank you for the gift of prayer. That you are the one who invites us. It's not us who presumptuously go into your presence and barge our way in and Speak to you uninvited. You beckon, you call, you draw, you lure us. Oh, would we take you at your word and pray. And know the fellowship that can be had there. Lord, I pray for this church. That they would be a people who pray. A people who pray for one another. People who pray for their church leaders. People who pray for their city. God, would you mark this congregation as a people devoted to prayer. We pray this in the name of our Savior.